Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Yannick Gustala podcast. We are going to talk about, I am going to talk about, hopefully you're going to listen for a little while, about what it means to be totally lost. Uh, actually, for want of a better word, maybe undecided is more uh, is more apt here, but lost in terms of composition, lost in terms of direction. It's uh, it's one of those moments. It's pretty rare for me uh, not to have that focus and that absolute kind of, if not pinpointed, like laser targeted goal, at least. Uh, an understanding of the general direction that I'm going in. Of course, I'm talking about the album. It's coming up. It's going to be, what, what are we leaving in less than three months now? And I had a lot of music written for it. I was in really great spirits, full, full send, just going for it, writing all this music with the lineup I had in my head that I thought was going to be on the album. And then Nico ended up having a bail on the sessions. So I went back kind of to square one. And, you know, like I, I think I mentioned last week, I sat there listening to music and figuring out who I was going to use and sort of which ballpark direction I wanted to go in. I, I, I called Cliff Armand, uh, who is going to be on the session, which is amazing, incredible musician and uh, a very specific sound to write for as well. But now it's in that sort of soupy mess of, holy shit, where do I go? Do I really ditch all of the material I wrote before? I kind of think so. Most of it is going to go by the wayside because it was written for a different configuration of musicians, really specifically so. Um, and I've started putting together ideas now for this new lineup, um, but I just don't have the direction. Now, what do you do when you don't have, when you do feel lost? Let's see, actually, lost is, is the right word. What do you do when you feel lost? And are a little directionless. It doesn't have to be about composition. You, it doesn't have to be about recording a new album. It could be anything. It could be your practice. It could be your general direction in music. <laughs> as dark as that kind of sounds. Hey, by the way, Disney hat. You digging that? I don't know. Got a new Disney hat. Actually, I, I got one a while ago and then I totally messed it up. And then my wife very kindly got me a replacement. This actually, I'm going to put it on backwards, as dumb as that may look. It's not as dumb as the uh, as the awful hair. Des desperately in need of a haircut. So, but at least you can see my face now that I don't have the cap over my uh, the peak over my head. So, what do you do when you get lost? Uh, for me, what has transpired over the past week, and it's been about a week of this sort of like lumbering around, like what the hell am I going to do? Where is this going? <laughs> And what it is, what it's turned into is practice. I've actually been like, okay, I'm going to spend more time with my instrument. I'm not going to worry about the compositions themselves, the sessions themselves. They're all going to happen. I, I have enough confidence in my sort of fundamental level of ability as a musician, as a bass player, as a band leader, as an artist, that even as one way out, as the album from last year proves, even if I go to the studio with zero music, written we will still come out with some fantastic performances and i'm very confident in the musicians i'm going with with the team i'm working with so 
that that was my first thought was to sort of reset back to that to know that I'm going to be okay no matter what happens write zero music be fine write tons of music still be fine just have more options and what that has translated into is simply spending more time with the instrument and practicing which of course has this great byproduct of building more confidence into my playing so that regardless of the sessions i have other stuff going on before that i have a gig in la in a couple of weeks i'm going on tour with steve smith there are other things going on and practicing more obviously being well now not being sick as i have been for a month is 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 great and allows me to focus and be more sort of concentrated with my practice and my playing um just focusing in on the playing is starting to open up ideas and compositional ideas are going to come from that they always do i always stumble upon some little uh, mistake if you will in my technique and that leads to something i wasn't intending to play and that thing ends up quite often being something new uh, new enough to call the the embryonic stages of a composition and actually a couple of days ago i started to form an idea i'd had this um I had this groove in my head. I'd made a little demo of it a couple of years ago, or not even a demo. It was just one of those little recordings that I've talked about before, recording my practice routine. It's actually a video. So I have a little video clip of it from like the middle of 2000, like central pandemic lockdown, um, you know, nothing but practice type of type of thing. And I just I happened upon it, and it's one, two, three, and. Static, right? Just one chord. So that has been something floating around my head, and I started to develop that harmonically because I wanted to use that as the basis for a practice routine. I was like, oh, let me just get that in different octaves. And maybe different keys. Always good to run an idea through 12 keys and play it in different areas of the instrument. Okay, so started doing that. And I was like, well, let me see if I can work that rhythm, that rhythmic idea through different chord progressions. So one statement in C. So lo and behold, came up with a few other chord changes, modulated, to, well, modulated, just made um, C instead of being the one. Got to the E natural in it to make it a five. To get to our four chord there, uh, F minor. Um, and then I went down a whole step, so F minor to E flat. And then I went... F- two five minor two five to g minor so a minor seven flat five d seven sharp nine or flat nine um to g minor which sounds like and then g minor to g seven to get back to Now, there's 
this is fun for me. I like moving through key centers. I like being able to use the same rhythm, uh, but change chords and have the ability to move all around the instrument, developing a, a, a similar rhythm. Um, sometimes changing the rhythm and like develop, developing it motivically. Great. This is fun. Is this something that I hear going on an album? Mm, coin flip right now. Depends how we frame it. Depends what context we put it into. Uh, I did record a demo in the computer and I used some programming and it was sort of you know, a bunch of layered percussion and it was somewhere between sort of African percussion and edging towards Afro-Cuban. And of course, Cliff has this long-term association with Michelle Camillo, having played on One More Once and having played with Michelle for over 20 years and knows that world very well. It would be very simple to just say, oh, we're going to do this style and, and pick a groove and Cliff would, would know it immediately and, and play the crap out of it. But through doing this, it just makes me realize, oh, this is fun, but I need to make sure I don't make like a massive cliche faux pas here and just do something because it's easy and do something simply because it's fun. You know, fun and musical or fun and applicable don't necessarily uh, line up, at least not in my brain, in terms of sort of artistic output. So I have to be really kind of conscious of that and careful where I put that and in which context um, I, I use to, to sort of frame it on the album. So anyway, that's that's a, an example of something practice-wise that could possibly become a composition and came out of just going back to practicing, just going back to spending time with the instrument, wanting to develop more, wanting to build more confidence in my f fundamentals and my baseline. I hate using the baseline because we're bass players and it's, it's, it's kind of a pun, but really the, the baseline, B-A-S-E, baseline uh, ability and sort of consistency and stamina really simple stuff with the instrument and that has kind of led to working on more classical sounding stuff and some bark sounding stuff poor execution there but really kind of inside sounding things and when i get to um um heard this one melody of uh, in the uh, Bach violin sonata number one something like that there, there was a, a melodic idea I'm, uh, I'm musically paraphrasing here but it, Obviously, this has got nothing to do with the bark here, but when I hear um, when I hear a melody like that, it takes me in a bunch of other places. It uh, sort of fires up. It ignites all those skill sets and sensibilities I have from having practiced Bach and uh, Beethoven and Schumann and Brahms and all that stuff back in back in the day, really kind of intensely. There's also something I continue to do now. I have actually been playing that uh, violin sonata a little bit. Just as a great technical exercise, um, and the range sort of fits perfectly with my instrument. I think the highest note in the presto, for instance, is a D, and I can fit the whole thing below that. So I have still, I still do play some classical music, but it fires up those sensibilities, the crossover between Bach and bebop, and then melody, and we get into some more Brahms and Mahler with the vertical harmony with the chords. Um, mm -hmm. 
So the brain is firing. It's not like I'm completely lost in terms of myself and my sort of inner routine and inner feelings and emotions about music. That's still intact. It's just about how I want to present that. That's where the the sort of compass has gone a little bit haywire. So it, and, and then, of course, you add the time pressure and the pressure of a new person in the band at the kind of the last minute. It starts to ramp up the ang- the anxiety a little bit and i try and stay as calm as possible i have lots of sort of coping mechanisms if you will which are if you will which are simply like um sort of rituals that i do anyway regardless of what uh what the workload is or what the schedule looks like i i have things that i do like the regular practice like the simple things like taking things stripping things away to their most basic form um, to make sure my 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 foundation my sort of foundational confidence level is still there with my playing and i have to find a way to bridge that over to the producer side of me like okay i'm, I'm i am the producer the writer the artist of this session of this album so i have to really get that back uh get the confidence back over there and playing is feeling pretty good but the decision making confidence could do with a little bit of a boost right now and I just have to remember, it's, it's, I've been doing this a while, so it's, it's probably going to work out okay. You know, it might not be amazing, might not be the best thing I've ever made. I might not be happy with it completely immediately. It might take a while. But at least the starting point, I can be fairly confident. Or rather, I should be fairly confident, because I'm not yet, but I should be fairly confident, confident about the starting point and about where we all might go as a group, from the engineers to the camera operators to the musicians to everyone involved. Um, and have great confidence in them because there's a reason why I've hired them all and why we're you know going to work together down in Argentina. Speaking of Argentina, it's coming up. We are really uh, like uh, less than three months to go. Um, Buenos Aires, we're going to play live on the fifth. I still don't have all the final details of like tickets and 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 ticket links and stuff for the show in Argentina. And we're still working on a show in Montevideo in uh, Uruguay. And even there's a, a remote possibility that we might do a show in Sao Paulo in Brazil. And I'm talking to a friend in. Costa Rica because I haven't been there in so long and I want to go back. So there are a couple of remote possibilities of, of extra shows in, in Brazil and in Costa Rica while we're in that part of the world. Although those are crazy far apart, I know. I do understand geography. But still, I, you know, I want to try and visit as many places as I can in the limited amount of time I have to do it. Uh, and of course, the, pre, like the most important part of it is getting involved in the pre-sale. If you're a, if you're a fan of the music and you dig what you're hearing and you want to be a part of this process, if you want to see <laughs> if you want to see that it doesn't end in a train wreck, which it, it, I know it's not going to end in a train wreck, it, even though it feels like that sometimes, you can be involved now. The pre-sale is going on. It's linked below below the YouTube video or in the show notes. If you're just listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and. Like I've mentioned a couple of times briefly, I'm doing something kind of special with the pre-sale this time in that I'm recording three songs that I'm not ever going to release to the public. So you'll only be able to hear them if if you're a part of the pre-sale. If you, so it's like, you know, I know there are people out there that are like me. You like to listen to albums. You like to listen to the more long form thing. And for those people who appreciate that, that's why I'm, I'm doing this. I know those are the people that are more likely to be involved now ahead of time. Um, but yeah, once we get into the beginning of August, the pre-sale will end. That's it. Uh, I'll probably, end, I don't know. How am I going to do that? 
I got to set an end date for it. So it's like, okay, that's it. No more. Um, and probably I should do that like right as the sessions are happening. So like first week of August, there will be no more chances to get in on it. So, and, and it's also, I've, I've talked briefly about this as well in, in an episode a few weeks ago. I really want to do an entire video dedicated to the concept of the bonus track. The, the, what used to be the Japanese bonus track for me, uh, going into the record store and looking for those Japanese covers and, and imports and finding that extra song that Herbie Hancock had recorded for the Japanese market. And that's what I want to do is obviously now it's the worldwide market, but it's the little market of people who are, you know, signed up to my mailing list, who are engaged in the podcast, who uh, are subscribed to the YouTube channel. That's, uh, that's who we're doing it for, for you. Hopefully you are one of those people listening now. Um, I heard a rumor that YouTube are starting to do like dedicated podcast stuff. Um, I need to look into that a little more. Just heard a few, seen a few things and heard a few things about that. Maybe even being able to have this podcast on the main channel, but as a dedicated podcast area. I'm not sure. That would be amazing because obviously the bigger audience is there. But, uh, in other news, um, this channel, this podcast channel on YouTube hit the prerequisite of 4,000 watch hours and over a thousand subscribers. So it is officially monetized, uh, which is obviously not a, uh, was never a goal, um, (laughs) to retire on and get rich. But if it grew and if it did bring in some income, it's, um, like I mentioned in my last video on the main channel about YouTube being sort of the modern day record label for people like me, for independent artists, if it, uh, if it kind of took off and, and there were lots of people watching and subscribed to the channel, it would definitely help fund projects like the one I'm talking about, like making these albums uh, every year. You know, I want to do at least one big project like this one in Argentina a year um, and involve all the fans. And geez, there's so many things to announce this week and I should have done it right, right up front. Um, I actually snuck out an entire album. Uh, a few days ago. It's called Alone. It's uh, seven tracks. It's 40 minutes long. It was something I did um, in 2021 and recorded it here in my home studio with a ton of pedals and effects and looping and all kinds of stuff, uh, ambient craziness. Um, and it's one of those albums, if you saw the video I made on YouTube about you know how I lost uh, a lot of money, shall we say, um, tens and tens upon tens of thousands of dollars in the studio of my career making albums. I also mentioned in that video that uh, I had made at least five albums that I just never put out, fully produced and finished albums. Actually, that number has grown so much. I've updated it several times in different videos and it keeps on growing. The last count was 15 and then I found this album, this solo album that I'd made in 2021 on a hard drive. I was like, oh shit, well that number's 16 now. And then I listened to it and I was like, okay, I'm going to get out of my own way here. I'm going to stop being so neurotic and say, well, that isn't quite right or this thing and that thing. I'm just going to put it out. So I made some artwork. Um, I named the tracks, uh, put it all together, made a, made a running order and just put it out. Literally, I used DistroKid. That's what I used to distribute uh, digitally. And I think I uploaded it all on Sunday. And by Tuesday morning, it was on all platforms. So I'll link that. That's on Spotify, Apple Music, everywhere you listen to music. It's called Alone. Um, It was recorded. It doesn't say that it's the latest release because here we are in 2023. But it was recorded in 2021, which is why I put uh, 2021 as the as the date on there. So it's uh, it's in sort of um, it's in chronological order on the 
on the on the Spotify page at least. I, I rarely use Apple Music, so I don't know how one's discography looks there. But on Spotify, it looks, you know, kind of uh, there's mystery to me right at the beginning, and there's one way out last year, and everything sort of in order in between. Um, I do wish they didn't like separate singles and EPs and stuff like that because it would be nice to see the whole thing in order. But there we go, Spotify. As we all know, is far from perfect, and. As I'm talking, I'm like, I'm talking too much. I need to play. I need to practice. Um, I don't know if you get this while you're talk- while you're doing something else. A musical idea is buzzing away in your head. And you're like, okay, I need to stop whatever it is I'm doing and go play. That I need to stop talking and play. I need to stop doing the dishes and go play. I just need to get to the instrument and get that idea out. Well, the entire time... I was talking to you for the last five minutes. These ideas have been buzzing through my head. second guess myself there this other shape as well ah no so it's just altered going to one so five so going to one And obviously doing that in all keys. <laughs> if, you, if you're doing something in all keys and it's not, your ear isn't quite up to your perhaps basic physical technique on the instrument, it can help to have a reference point each time you're switching keys. So knowing, for instance, that if you're going from five... G7, this, into, this is flat 13 here, going to 1, going to C minor, uh, 5, 7, flat 13, going to a 1 minor. Um, and the line, that's the line. It helps sometimes to have a reference point of which note you're starting on. Mm-hmm. 
really helps to get the the um, volume of repetition under your fingers rather than keep like, oh, what is that? And what it keeps stopping to think. Um, so if you know, if you have one simple reference point like this, for instance, I know I can either think of it as the flat 13 of the dominant chord. So G7 with the E flat. And I've, then I have the whole shape under my fingers to go and play it. Or I can think of it as the minor third of the destination which sometimes if you are kind of hearing ahead and you know you're going towards that one sometimes the destination is an easier reference point than um than perhaps a higher tension on a on a on a on a dominant or altered chord so so if i were to go and do that in a minor now for instance i know that c is the minor third of a minor so i'm really not trying to think about what each note even though i know because i've played them millions of times I know exactly what this is. This is F melodic minor. But in the context... A context of E7, because it's 5 going to 1. Ah. Actually, you hear there, I was thinking about it, and that is more hindering than, uh, than just relying on my ear and trusting my ear and my experience so i have my reference point i have the minor third of the destination so let's do it in d for instance so minor third of d f natural and i'm not muting very well did you hear that? I had all these like ringing notes the first time I did it in, in the lower string. So I got to work on that, that right hand. String crossing has always been the, the hardest thing, I think, for bass players. Yeah. So to get that clean and have no, uh, no lower strings, like... Don't want any of this bullshit. I hate that sound. That's the sound of bad technique. That's the sound of someone who is not honest about their, their practice time. And that's where, you know, all the bullshitters go grab a fret rap. Fret, fret, fret rap, yeah, that's fuck, I forgot the name of the damn thing. <clears throat> that's where all the bullshitters go grab a fret wrap in order to basically get away with having poor technique. So yeah, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. I don't care. I will die on that hill of fret wraps being a total crutch uh, because it's totally possible to play basically anything. I mean, if there was... There, there is perhaps a use for that thing, uh, like, but it's so specific and... I mean, it's so fucking specific that you literally in your entire career might use it three times. <laughs> and, you know, I don't, all these people that are like, oh, well, I slap and I do this and I that. Bullshit. What it is, is you don't have good technique. Sorry, I didn't re I really didn't mean to get into a rant there, but goddamn, those things are so pointless. Um, 
and they're being they're they're, they're being marketed and sold as being the savior of your tech. No, it's not the savior of technique. It's that you don't have to spend the time with the instrument, and time with the instrument is possibly the most important thing. Um, I mean, good time and good sound is the most important thing, but you don't get those without spending time with the instrument. Kind of crazy. Holy shit, I could do a whole rant about that for at least an hour because now all this its terrible. Like All this social media bullshit starts coming back into my head and thinking back six months ago to what would be like crushing through my feed all of these... like bedroom musicians with fret raps and <laughs> Jesus I should just practice um, uh, uh, the other thing like can you do that in all keys like that idea i think i played it in d first time the first time so it's just triads right it's tri uh, melodic minor triads okay but in five in groups of five rather uh, whoops get it right like make sure you get all the notes not not faking it not not um sort of sliding on the bottom ship good way to make sure you're getting all the notes is to just play it in groups of four Moving that, uh, let's say cycle of force, maybe. I'm kind of running out of real estate there. There. Ah. Ah. There we go. 
Key C sharp. Nah, get it right. I really, I you know, I try and hold myself to the standards. You know that I'm trying to set the stuff I, I write in my books, the information I put out there in terms of learning and the process. I really try and hold myself to that standard as much as possible because it's as we all know, it's easy to get. Um, how would I say it? it's, it's easy to get lazy in terms of just going back and playing the stuff we know. It's so easy to pick up the instrument and the first thing you play is like, oh, yeah, great. I've been playing this for 30 years. Like, why are you playing it again? You know, you really don't need to. There's also, there is also an argument for um, bringing stuff back to your vocabulary that has maybe fallen out or just fallen by the wayside perhaps and i that, that's kind of a nice thing like okay i've i do know this thing and i've practiced it tens of thousands of times but maybe i haven't actually played it or it hasn't been coming out as a natural part of my playing in a while so i'll go back you know that's what the transcription books are for to go back and discover oh remember this lick that i used to play <laughs> And how can I work that into in, into stuff that I'm working on now? Definitely want to um, have the feeling and the freedom of knowing I can pretty much play anything I hear. I guess that's a main goal, along with the sort of reboot of the compositional confidence. Another main goal leading up to the beginning of August is just real fluidity again. It's amazing. It's um, <clears throat> it, when you don't perform enough or often enough or with with regularity the that skill set gets it can get it can get a little dormant um i you know i maybe i've talked a little bit about this before in terms of it takes me a night or two to get way back into the the 
the sort of natural feeling of things when I start a tour, when I go on the road. And by night three or four, I'm feeling amazing, like the chops are back and the calluses are really solid. Um, but I don't, I'm not running to the studio four or five times a day in Los Angeles. I'm not playing five or six gigs a week. Uh, I'm not playing five or six gigs a month. Like literally when I'm home, I play one gig a month and that's it. And then suddenly I play 14 shows in a row on a tour and then come home and play one gig a month for another couple of months. Go out, come back, go out, come back. It's, it's not what it used to be 15 years, even five, six years ago where I was playing more like a hundred to 140 gigs a year on the road. Um, it's, it's not that anymore. So those, I have to allow for those sensibilities, uh, to just be kind of deficient each time I go back to the stage and allow myself time for those to creep back naturally. Cause that's the only way that you can't, that's the only way they come back is naturally. And by doing it, you can't fake that. There's no way to recreate the performance sort of parameters at home in your practice room, in your home studio, even in the rehearsal room, if you're rehearsing with a band, there's just no way to recreate that dynamic of the audience and what it takes to really perform at, you know, at a hundred percent in front of a live audience in the moment. So I really have to remember to allow myself time to ease back into that and know that it's perhaps not going to happen right away. Uh, but at the same time, I can prepare myself for success as much as possible, give myself the rather the best chance of success by working on all these fundamental things. And what you are hearing today, what you're hearing in this episode are a lot of those elements. Um, what I would be doing a lot of as well, if I didn't have cameras running and this slider here and the mic and all that crap, um, I'd be you know, jamming along to loops and the drum loops and stuff like that to just to really lock in the the lower end of the the the, the real foundation end of the instrument. I spend a lot of time doing that. And I make myself loops and chord sequences and stuff to play to, little play alongs, um and really uh, that's super important. Just creating Sort of, especially stuff that I haven't done before as well. Creating something new to challenge myself to play over, really useful. And not that complicated either. Even if you just have Logic in your computer or GarageBand, there are so many Apple loops in there that for sure you have not played along to before. That you can get a little groove going and even a little song form based on no original material whatsoever and kind of challenge yourself in the lower register of the instrument in challenge yourself in the role of a bass player set up a session set up a, a session for yourself where you're basically learning a song create a song learn it on the spot and then play it over and over and over again um and yeah up the dusty end of the neck this melodic stuff i'm playing it's no different it's just repetition um i gotta, gotta get rid of that hitch and like accuracy like that m making sure I'm, I'm i'm making those notes yeah, a lot of time you 
know, making a point to close your eyes and not look at the fingerboard. Like, how comfortable are you? You know, if you're, you know, can you can you can you make that leap with your eyes closed like I did just then? Ah, that answer is no. <laughs> and that was inaccurate as well. So that's the thing that needs needs work. the eyes closed there so that's a good that's a really good one and just do do it simple i mean i I would hope you don't have to look at the fingerboard for a major scale but maybe you're starting um the major scale in one position but you make that you make that leap up for the octave maybe you want to keep your eyes closed for all of those position shifts right there i have my eyes closed and that's a you know take something simple major scale something you've probably played a lot before and really push yourself to you know to get as much of a challenge out of it as you can so i'm constantly doing that and that that's sort of specifically because when i'm in the studio and it's not, not i don't have to practice that oh i have a because I have a session coming up. No, I, I'm just very aware of the fact that I want to look, if I want to look at anything, I want to look at the other musicians and communicate with them visually, maybe with my engineer. I don't know if I'm going to be in the live room where I have to, you know, use, you know, eye signals and maybe a wave once in a while, if I can take my hand off the instrument, or if I'm going to be in the control room, like I was last year and be able to talk, uh, which is really useful. Side note there, really, if you can, tracking the control room is amazing Um, because you're really hearing, as long as the mix, like the rough mix is good and you have a good engineer, you're really kind of hearing what's going on. Um, You get the picture of the overall mix so much better on a a big pair of studio monitors than you do a shitty little, you know, even if they're good for bass, they're still kind of shit headphones. You know, all of them are. They don't move air. But if you're in the control room and you're sitting in front of the studio monitors, whoa, so good now it's can be tough that's something Juan Pablo was saying to me like man you know I'm I'm gonna be doing shit (laughs) I'm gonna be doing my job you know because in the control room you know an engineer can mute things and 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 go in and listen to something to make sure it's working properly without affecting the, the the headphone mix to the musicians who are recording so if you're in the control room and the, the you know the, the engineer is starting to like solo the hi hat or something. You're like, wow. Well, there goes my mix. I don't hear anything now. So it's also something that has to be collaborative and cooperative with the engineer. And I'm lucky. Juan Pablo is 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 incredible. And uh, I've I've done the same with John Davis in New York before tracking the control room. Like great engineers know what's up. And you know, especially those two guys, John and Juan Pablo. They both they can both get such great rough mixes that they really don't have to mess with the board. Like unless there's some catastrophe, unless something's like a channel is like some noise on it or something. And if there is, you know, the, the, that that take might be burnt anyway. So 
normally with great engineers they can get a rough mix as you're setting up and they really don't have to change anything while you're tracking and that gives you the ability to luxuriate perhaps there's a couch in the control room and you get to sit on the couch and have your pedals close by and just have a really nice comfortable setup and and not have to mess uh, with headphones and and walking in and out and then the communication is so much better with the engineer there were literally times and you'll see it in the documentary you can check the full documentary out on youtube about one way out on my main channel you'll see i i'm I'm playing and i'm like oh you know what i've got these loops going in the loop pedal but i'm over here on the literally it was the pedal setup was so big there were two ends to it that were you couldn't reach one while you were at the other and i'm at one end of the thing feathering like a volume pedal or something and i said to one pedal, hey man go can you go fade out that second looper over there so he was working one end of the pedal board while i was working the other so talk about luxurious uh circumstances under which to record so if you can if the if the situation allows it it can be a nice um way to record bass uh there's a little little pro tip for you or experience tip for you in terms of being in the studio and if it's your record you can do whatever you want so i do hear that line keep cropping up that, that would never be my intent to, to you know oh i've been working on this line so i'm gonna play it over and over and over and over again on a gig um actually having said that there are coltrane bootlegs where he develops an idea over a week so maybe a fragment i would do it with a fragment you know, if I had a run of gigs and I was working on a little three or four note fragment, yeah, okay, maybe I would intentionally want to play that in as many different contexts as possible. And, be, you know, be musical uh, with it. But a long line like that, a, a, a lick, if you like, my intent is never to go on the gig and play that over and over again just because I've been working on it. But in my practice routine, in order to get um, repetition in context, I'll try and use that every time I can when I'm switching keys just to be totally natural with it. doesn't matter if I'm in C or D minor or any key, you know. So I'll purposely try and work through different key centers. Ah. I just move around. I think I played C, D, and E there uh, randomly, but just working those two lines. This one and this one. Because those are two kind of ideas I've been building this week in terms of altered five going to a one. And that's it. That's the repetition element of my 
routine. Let me lose the bass here. Oh, yes. Okay. Look at that. I think I coughed one time in this whole podcast. It feels so good not to be ill. Having said that, a fresh illness is probably not too far away with the kiddo. Um, poor thing. She is prone to that early doors. A part of fatherhood I'm having to get used to and manage sometimes successfully, sometimes not so much. As you have heard, there's been chronicled in the podcast over the past weeks. Um, I think I'm going to put out the Steve Smith interview next week as our tour on the East Coast approaches. Really excited about that. Again, pre-sale for the album is happening right now at yannickwizdala.com, as is the new album uh, alone that I just put out, just sneaked out that solo one. Like I said, I... It, I want to do one big project, like I said in the video the other day, a mega project, a long distance mega project every year and, you know, do this journey with you guys, with all the fans, the coffee drinkers. It's been, it's been great last year. This year is going great too. I have, um, great optimism for the sessions and for the outcome. But there's also no reason why I can't put out other things during the year as well. And I want to get out of that habit of recording a bunch of stuff and then being neurotic about it. So as much of the unreleased, um, archives as I can bring myself to release, I will. And of course, you know, moving forward, just recording things here at home and little projects, maybe duo things and whatever I can, I will put it out there for you all to listen to. If you're not subscribed to my Substack, my mailing list, I'm actually going to start putting out some demos for this upcoming album this week. That's going to be a feature for the for, for everyone that's not that you don't have to be a paid subscriber or anything like that i'm going to put out some demos really sort of expose myself show you exactly what's going on and how something starts quite uh weirdly sometimes and maniacal and it's like, it, you know it's a thing you might hear and be like well, how on earth is that going to be a thing and then hopefully you'll hear and see the progression of that through to the making of the album so i'm going to start putting those on the mailing list. Uh, we're doing this song a day thing still. Uh, we're in the second week of it. It's been so much fun listening to all these bootlegs that I haven't heard in years. And, you know, for everyone, everyone who's subscribed, all the paid subscribers are getting those every day. I know it's, it, it's a little much to get an email every single day. Um, if, if you're not. You know, if you, if it, I know that can be a little invasive. That's why I made it for the paid subscribers only. So it's kind of elective and there's a much smaller number of people on my mailing list who are subscribed, uh, and, and are paying for it. So that's going out every day. The goal is 365 in a row. I think we're on number 14 or 15 right now. Um, but that's it. That's today's podcast. Check all the links out below and uh, see you on the next one later. Mm-hmm.